First question. I have read about the second death reasoning provided on your website and appreciate all your explanations, but want a better explanation of why Jesus didn't die the first death. First death is simply a sleep in which a person goes to sleep and they rise with the same current of thoughts they, they went to, to sleep with. It doesn't achieve anything. It's a pause. It's a cessation. It's a timeout. Christ's death, according to scripture, destroyed him, holds the power of death that is the devil. Christ's death destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. It destroyed the principalities and powers of darkness. Uh, all the forces that caused the evil were dealt with and the, the remedy was achieved. Uh, and so Christ's death was the means whereby the infection of sin was eradicated from the humanity that he partook of and he rose in a cleansed and purified humanity. He neither died as a result of sin destroying his humanity, nor did he simply sleep Instead, he purged the infection of fear and selfishness that Adam brought into humanity from his humanity and rose and then cleansed humanity, a new humanity that he achieved in our behalf. That's the difference. Please share your analysis of the popular metaphor about salvation that is making the rounds. It's the donut story about a professor named Dr. Christensen and a student named Steve who does push-ups to secure donuts for each person in the class, whether they want them or not. It doesn't seem quite right as an accurate picture of reality. I want to have an articulate response because now it has been shared with students in our school and even at worship for board meeting. Uh, how many have heard of this? I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't heard of it at all either, but I got this uh, email. Uh, this uh, question was posted earlier, and so I went and looked it up online. And uh, the straight answer is, uh, to the person who asked the question, this metaphor, this object lesson, metaphor, story, parable, whatever you want to call it, is constructed to teach Satan's lie. Wow. Okay? It is an arbitrary story. It's an arbitrary set up. In other words, Ms. Dr. Christensen is a teacher who will allow anyone to come into his room as long as they obey his rules and his rules are made up rules. And in the story, the, there is nothing inherent. People do not need a donut in order for them to, to survive, but the reward is the donut. There is no connection between push-ups and earning donut. But somehow he's asked this other person, Steve, to do push-ups for people. And if he does push-ups for them, then, then they will get a donut, whether they want one or not. And it's all arbitrary, made up, and it teaches an arbitrary, made up system of rules that are applied regardless of whether people want it or not, etc. So, if you want to teach a fraudulent salvation system, this is the perfect. This is a great illustration of how to do that. I would not try to interpret this parable as a parable that teaches anything truthfully about God. It's all distorted and perverse. And the way you deal with that is it is a made-up system with made-up rules, arbitrarily enforced, therefore it teaches a lie, and so it's not a representation of the gospel. In Genesis 9, 5, and 6, I struggle understanding what appears to be ordering God, ordering people to take human life. If someone human, takes a human life, their life will be required of them and so forth. Um, and they want to have an explanation about that. Uh, a on, on December 7, 2023, I wrote a blog. The blog is entitled The Death Penalty in Old Testament Times. I just refer you to that blog and, and I go into great detail explaining um, the answer to this and other uh, places where God um, gave instructions for the death penalty. And so that would be a better explanation and it's more comprehensive. So I encourage you to go there. 
Uh, next question says, to what may Jeremiah 27, 19 through 22 refer, symbolic, not literal? Is it symbolic, not literal, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, and the answer is, I, I don't know. I haven't studied this particular passage of scripture, nor take time to try to unpack any potential symbolic meaning of that passage. So I, I don't really have an answer. Uh, next question, Tim Rosenberg states that the king of the South is radical Islam and the political left and the king of the North is papal Rome, Christian and modern Islam. And that they are in, in the factions that they are at work in the world conflicts today and that this is Daniel's end time prophecy. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I have written two blogs on the King of the North and King of the South and just go to our website up in the search engine, top in, type in King of the North. You'll find both blogs. I, I encourage you to read those blogs and I go into great detail and then you can compare um, what I've written with what Rosenberg teaches. I wouldn't comment on what Rosenberg teaches because I haven't researched what he teaches and I wouldn't want to in any way misrepresent his teachings. But since you're familiar with it and you want to uh, compare, I would encourage you to read our blogs and you can do your own comparison. Why would God allow such confusion of words and means uh, meanings occur in the translation of the writing in the Bible? Law of liberty, exactly a law of liberty. The Bible is not a dictation from God. The Old Testament, even the Bible writers themselves, God inspires. This is how, how does inspiration work? God inspires a writer with an idea, a truth. But the writer chooses the words from the writer's experience to best convey those things. Those words, God is not represented in Scripture as an author, whether you're reading in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. The truths there, and that's why it is legitimate to take those words that were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek and replace them with other words as long as the meaning comes across. And God allows this because he wants people to study the meaning, not get locked into the words. And if the meaning is, is contradictory in some way, then you can be sure that the words are probably not conveying the meaning most accurately. And it is open for us to go back in and do our own deep study to come to the true meaning of what God has inspired to be brought through. And the scripture really is about the meaning contained in, not the specific words contained in. And so I, I find this as a great exercise for us to study the word for ourselves and to come away with uh, prayerful reflection, comparing multiple verses, the all 66 together, the entire Inspire record, and come away with our own conclusion. And I think the big elements that are important to really be able to get the truth is first and foremost, understand God's character of love. So understand his design laws, that his laws are design laws, that he's the creator, worship him as creator, not as a dictator. Uh, to compare all the various parts to the grand central theme of scripture, uh, where, we, in other words, we don't formulate one uh, doctrine based on a text here and a little here, a little there, that we require all the inspired record to harmonize together, that we uh, keep the truth that Jesus revealed as central to our understanding and that our, our interpretations of various parts won't uh, contradict the character of God that Jesus revealed and that we keep wrestling these things and then we make scripture harmonize with the other two threads that God has given us that scripture tells us reveal his divine nature, Romans 1.20, that God's divine nature is, is seen in what he has made and that we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. So through our life experiences, objective reality. In other words, we have to have a reality-based understanding of what the scripture means because we live in reality and reality reveals truths about how God governs his universe. And so all of this must be harmonized together. 
And uh, people get locked into this confusion when they come to it with a, a false premise, God's law works like our, our law, or an arbitrary false belief. Only the Bible reveals truth about God, and we must never use human reason. We must take it as it reads and never interpret it and never reason out the way. And this is some of the arbitrary things. So I think God leaves leaves it this way because this is the process of how each one of our hearts and minds ultimately become settled into the truth that we cannot be moved. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you have presented truth and love and left us free. And we ask that your spirit will guide us, lead us, and transform us as we embrace and follow the truth where you're leading. We pray in your holy name. Amen.